Last month, news that was essentially inevitable to many in the media industry finally broke, yet somehow they'd waited for it so long that some began to think it might never actually come. After seven decades as a mega media mogul, 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch confirmed he was handing over control of his giant international news companies, Fox and News Corp, to his son, Lachlan Murdoch. But this wasn't retirement or resignation as most people would know it, or indeed do it. He'd be sticking around, he said, having given himself the unusual title Chairman Emeritus. And in a memo to staff, Rupert Murdoch said that that meant he wouldn't just be hanging around in Mahogany Row either. In my new role, I can guarantee you that I will be involved every day in the contest of ideas. I'll be watching our broadcasts with a critical eye, reading our newspapers and websites and books with much interest, and reaching out to you with thoughts, ideas and advice. When I visit your countries and companies, you can expect to see me in the office late on a Friday afternoon. Well, this is effectively what Rupert Murdoch has been doing for decades, guiding the work of his journalists and editors, influencing political decisions and appointments and even elections, as well as public opinion on a range of issues. For years, his editors denied that it was Rupert calling the shots for them or that his influence was in any way bad for the media or the countries in which they operated. But in recent years, those who have left Murdoch's companies have lifted the lid a little on how those things really worked. For example, after Murdoch's Fox News was sued for the thick end of a billion US dollars for knowingly broadcasting stolen election lies last year, a former editor of Murdoch's top-selling UK tabloid The Sun, David Yelland, said this. It is necessary to preserve the emperor's new clothes here. Rupert cannot afford to stand up and admit that Fox News tells lies for a living, which is what it does. It's very clear. But I do think that our generation of journalists, quite a lot of us, have allowed their entire careers to be corrupted. And that this is a really big problem. And just last week, the former editor of The Sun in Scotland, a former Murdoch protégé called Gordon Smart, revealed that Murdoch was literally leaning over his shoulder overseeing his coverage of the Scottish referendum on independence from the UK, which ended up going the way Rupert Murdoch wanted, but only just. Now here, Rupert Murdoch has had little interest or influence, having long ago sold his newspapers, which he'd acquired in the 1960s and 70s, though his Sky News Australia channel is still carried on Sky TV here. But in the UK, US and Australia, those still on his channels reacted on the air to Murdoch's transition from boss to chairman emeritus like this. His contributions are both innumerable and extraordinary. Thank you, Rupert, and congratulations. He is an extraordinary man with amazing energy optimism, but also I think when he looks at someone he sees 10 years beyond, which is also a superpower he's had. I can remember uh, going to have lunch at his home in, uh, in the hills outside LA. Uh, just to sit there and watch him eat lamb chops was, um, was quite an honour. Not stepping aside, this is just a transition yeah. and we're very excited and for thank the next you. step on that. Yeah, thank you. Well, that gallery of greasers was culled from last Monday's edition of Media Watch in Australia, a TV show on their public broadcaster, the ABC. And over the years, the Aussie Media Watch and Murdoch Media have been thorns in each other's sides. Host Paul Barry has been watching Murdoch for years and has written a biography of him called Breaking News, Sex, Lies and the Murdoch Succession, looking at how, in the wake of divorce, Murdoch was gearing up for the toughest challenge of his life to hand his empire onto his children. Perfect timing right now, then, you'd think, to shift a few copies of a book like that. 
Thing is, though, Paul Barry's book actually came out 10 years ago when a freshly divorced octogenarian Murdoch was thought to be close to succession in the wake of that phone hacking scandal. So this week I asked Paul Barry if he could have foreseen that another divorce, Jerry Hall this time, and another mega scandal, the Fox News lawsuits, and even a TV show based on the family called Succession, would all have come and gone before the mega media mogul actually made his move 10 years on. Rupert has always said that he was going to live until 120, so I'm not in the least surprised that he's still going, and I'm absolutely not in the least surprised that it's not really yet been settled Although clearly Rupert has anointed Lachlan and Lachlan is in, is in the box seat in control in the boardroom, uh, there is still the possibility that when Rupert dies, there will be some sort of upheaval because the, the children will then control the family trust and whether they can all agree that Lachlan is the one to keep on going, it remains to be seen. Yeah, you do say in the book actually that as soon as you wrote it in the, in the epilogue, you had to try and keep updating it because he kept on doing stuff aged 82, you know, divorces, splitting up the holdings of the yeah. company. You did say, actually, at the age of 82 at one point in the book, surely he won't marry again. Uh, but I guess <laughs> you, you couldn't have guessed that Wrong Jerry place. Hall would come upon the scene and, uh, you know, there would even be a, a hit HBO show probably based on him and his uh, business and his family? Um, no, someone did actually option the film rights on the book. I think they had, had it more in mind that it was a phone hacking book rather than a book about the succession. So I think it's very unlikely that, he, that he'll be able to keep his fingers out of the pie. He's never been able to in the past. And in that sense, he, you know, the character of Logan in succession is that that part of his character is based upon him. And even at 92, I, I find it implausible that he's going to give that up unless he is in a terrible state of health or unless he is absolutely deliriously in love. But I, I can't imagine that would last very long anyway, de delirium. So I think whatever happens, he's going to be there telling people what he thinks should happen. But he's looked at the news daily all his life and he doesn't intend to stop now. And he says, I'll be reading your papers and watching your programs and sharing my thoughts with you. So I, I, I'm not sure that there's going to be a massive difference between Rupert post post-stepping back and Rupert pre-stepping back. But um, in fact, it's a bit unclear what the purpose is, but I, I guess that it, what it does is solidify Lockham as the as the rightful heir, or the rightful, but the, as the one who's going to take over. Um, and it allows the market and, and the board and the company to get used to the idea that he is running the show. That makes it more difficult when Rupert dies for the, for the other kids to come along and try and kick him out. I think that's probably the purpose of it. Um, but I, I really don't see a massive change in how the way things are going to be run. But in Australia, I mean, we hear former prime ministers like Malcolm Turnbull, you know, uh, running campaigns uh, against his influence, calling for inquiries. Is it uh, his hold over his part of the media in Australia still exerting a huge influence on politics and in business? If you look at the... 2013 election, I think it was, when the Murdoch papers, the tabloids in particular, ran a savage campaign against the Labour Party. The swing against Labour in Western Sydney was actually smaller than it was in the rest of the country. There's a sign that, that the Telegraph's policy of attacking Labour did not work in swinging votes uh, away from Labour. But if you look a bit more broadly and you look at the way in which policy is made and agendas are set, then Murdoch has a massive influence, I think. They set the agenda for radio and television, and they set the agenda for politicians on Sky News because an awful lot of politicians go on and appear there, and because it's live all the way around in Parliament House, and it's live, and it was live in every airport in the country as well. And in particular, 
I think it's had a big effect on Australia failing to do much on climate change because Sky News and, and the Murdoch papers, particularly the Australian, have been savagely against doing anything serious about climate change. And that, I think, has green-lighted politicians to do the same. Primetime comes along and all these opinion hosts get on there. They are all basically of one, of one uh, ilk. They all think climate change is a hoax or, or massively overrated. They basically have the same attitudes on a whole heap of things. They have an audience among politicians and among um, journalists and business leaders. And that's really, I think, how the, how the effect is, uh, is spread. Uh, I, I think if you live in New Zealand, you probably don't understand what it's like. But it is, it's a major feature of politics in this country, the Murdoch media. Well, when it comes to, say, political influence and influence on political decision-making, um, I mean, I, I worked in uh, the UK, and I can recall editors like Kelvin McKenzie would have been in charge of the Sun mm. newspaper at the times you're talking about, the subsequent Sun editor, David Yelland. They all denied it. They said, it's rubbish. We're aware of it. We talk to him, but we are left to our own devices. We are doing journalism. They were very firm on that. Now, in recent times... Some of them, now long out of that company, have turned this stuff around. For example, David Yelland. He said, David Yelland, um, a lot of a generation of journalists have allowed their careers to be corrupted. Um, is is that part of the Murdoch legacy? Or is, is that something that would have happened anyway in the, in the modern internet culture? I don't think uh, Rupert Murdoch was the first uh, to corrupt journalists. And, uh, uh, you know, there's been a corrupt journalist around a long, long time. I think he's had a profound effect on, on, on journalism in, in Britain. And sure, as a journalist, if you, if you want to work for those organisations, you have to do it. If you go out and don't get the story, then you're out. And so that's the way in which you're employed. And if you've got a, a media company that employs, that in this country, Australia, something like 60, 70% of the circulation of the national press, of the sort of big city press, and in Britain it's something like 40% Murdoch has, there are very few places to work apart from Murdoch, or the, or, or the choice is limited. I mean, you also mention in the book the things you've talked about, the treatment of well-known people and, and not-so-well-known people was, was terrible, but then also the bribery of public officials, very, very serious. And yet, you know, in your book, the final chapter is called your Epilogue, The Reckoning, but, I mean, I guess it turned out to be not a reckoning. I mean, they lost one of their top tabloid titles out of it, the news of the world, but... The company carried on. Um, well, it was a reckoning. It cost them a billion pounds or more in damages, and they failed to get um, B Sky B, which they 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 had um, memory forty percent of. They wanted the whole thing, but yes, I mean ultimately, there's been very little reckoning at all. Ten years later, he was selling the studios to Disney for seventy billion or something like that. So I mean, the Empire is worth massively more, and the, and the Murdochs are worth massively more. 13 years after that than they were, or 10 years after that than they were at the time. So it hasn't really been a, a reckoning at all. And Murdoch is still, you know, at the top table with all these leaders. He's still using his papers to push particular points of view, particular ideologies, particular policies, particular people. He's absolutely not changed in that one bit. And, and political leaders still form a conga line to his door because they know how powerful he is in terms of, or they, they, they think he's very powerful in terms of helping them get elected. And finally, Paul, what's it like reporting on this sort of stuff for the Media Watch programme on the ABC? Because 
Uh, News Limited is very hostile to you. Must must make it difficult just just trying to report on media issues. Uh, I think it's hard because they are such a big part of the media in Australia. And so almost however they behave, they're likely to be to dominate or to be a very large part of the of the stuff that we look at. And they're an even larger part because in my view, they bend the rules or they do things that are worthy of criticism more than most. So I, I don't have a problem about getting into them. I, I have a problem that if we get into them too much, we're, we're seen to be uh, victimizing them or criticizing them too much or chasing them. So that's kind of a minor consideration we have. But look, I call it as I see it. We call it as we see it. Um, if, if they do something that we think is wrong, we get up and say so. And they can scream and shout at us as they do. And we scream and shout at them in return. Whether it changes anything is another matter. But look, it's our job to to uh, critique the media and to say, we think this is wrong. We think this is bullying. We think this is a campaign that has no uh, reasonable support or has no support in reason. We think that this, this is not factually correct. We think this is not uh, sensible, whatever. So we keep on doing that. I don't have a problem doing it personally. I'm happy to be judged by our audience and um, other people in the media. As far as I can see, they think we're doing a reasonably good job. That was Paul Berry, the host of the TV show Media Watch on the Australian public broadcaster, the ABC. And he's the author of Breaking News, Sex, Lies and the Murdoch Succession. Well, that's all we have for you on Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back with more on the media on Midweek Media Watch. That's on Nights with Mark Leishman after the 10pm news next Wednesday. And then we'll be back again with a look back at how the election unfolded in the media at the earlier time of 7.30 next Sunday morning, ahead of the main post-election special at 8am here on RNZ National.